Hello, friends. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap show brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Devlin. And I'm Aaron. So we're recording in uh, Toronto today. I was wondering what's up with you since we recorded last. Well, um, I know that Christmas is very important to Mr. Robot and also to me because I like the cheap showiness of it. So uh, <laughs> I've just been decorating my house with tacky things. Like what? Like a like an artificial Christmas tree. That's pretty cool. Yesterday I was gifted a gingerbread platter, a gingerbread man shaped platter. Do you still dress up that pig statue that you have? Yeah. You could put it in like a Santa outfit. Cupig? <laughs> yeah. Because the first one was Valentine's Day. <laughs> I know. I actually wanted to buy a little dog hat to put on it. But so if anyone out there has a little Santa dog hat they could lend me, <laughs> that'd be cool. Man, you know, I should dress up my dog for Christmas. Yeah. Does she have a does she have a holiday bandana yet? I'm gonna start collecting some bandanas for we her. We should do that. Oh, so um what do you think about the songs from this episode? Um, I could not identify any of them, to be honest. I also misidentified at least one. Uh, but I think the song that we should use for this episode is In Time by Robbie Rob. I feel like I have a lot of like little nitpicky problems with this episode. Yeah, this one was definitely uh, like out of left field for Mr. Robot. That's the thing where I think it's well done. I think it's a good episode, but I don't think it feels like a Mr. Robot episode. I can agree with that. One reason is that, you know, how like in some of our previous recordings, we've had to restructure some of the scenes so we can talk about them and have them make sense of their jumping between plot lines over and over and over again. This one is kind of um, like more straightforward than the average episode. That's very true, I would say. Um, I also have, I mean, I guess this is classic Aaron at this point. A lot of questions that I don't have answers to. <laughs> That's but, just how the show works. And my theory from last week that this would be media focused was uh, wrong. Real wrong. Well, unless you consider the cinema that starts the episode. Yes. If I take a very oblique take on it, yes. I was completely correct. Just move the goalposts. <laughs> yeah. The first little fussy nitpicky thing I have about this is I think it's a different child actor who plays Elliot. Yeah, you noticed that. Um, I, I totally didn't know. <laughs> there were like enough, like I would buy that that was him as a kid, but I clearly don't think that was the original child actor. Well, you know, one problem they have with child actors very often is that um, they grow up faster than the production of the show. So in like The Walking Dead, there's Carl, who at the beginning of the series is like a little kid, like a young teenager. But Chandler Riggs, who plays him, is almost 20 now, I think. So he looks like a fully grown adult, but he's playing like a 14 year old. <laughs> Yeah, I love it's like where you see people at the high school prom who are clearly 35. Like, <laughs> But um, the opening scene of this is um, so it's Mr. Robot and Child Elliot uh, the second uh, at the movies. You know, I actually just remembered something hilarious, which is that the voice actor who plays Finn in Adventure Time was like a, a young boy. And when he hit puberty and his voice started to deepen, they switched him out for his younger brother. <laughs> Oh my god, he got fired? <laughs> yeah, for his sibling. That's so sad. <laughs> uh, one thing that I think we should try is, um, is you put M&M's into the popcorn? Yeah, that, that kind of weirded me out. I just don't like popcorn, though. Maybe that's why. We're going to get thumbs up from, from producer Dave. He's, uh, have you done it? Yeah, he's done it. He's done it. He, he thinks it's solid. Cineplex sells it now. Wow, I guess it's officially mainstream. Um, I do think... Although I haven't quite connected the dots. There's something about popcorn in this show, right? Like, remember the popcorn maker yeah. at the arcade and they had the gun in the popcorn. And there's all this, I don't know. I don't know if it's supposed to just be a nostalgic <laughs> thing, but. I think that the popcorn with the gun in it is called Chicago style. <laughs> <laughs> that's good because I don't buy that cheese caramel <laughs> idea that's been advanced is that what chicago style popcorn is yes I, I can't i'm not trying it we have some here actually if you ever wanted to yeah i'm okay <laughs> um they're at the movies they're having a bit of a confrontation elliot clearly doesn't want to be there and his dad is trying to normalize everything like it's okay which we were about to see it is definitely not okay yeah well elliot his armor is broken so 
he's already probably pretty upset with uh what's his father's name again how did i forget this edward alderson i believe it's edward yeah okay they're both e alderson right? it would be really embarrassing if i got it wrong at this point but yeah like they're not really on the best of terms right now and i i want to relate this scene like the cold open flashback with the child addressing the parents who's dying and just being like a major jerk to them because angela did the same thing earlier that's right she does I do think that's sort of a fairly typical kid move, though, where it's like... Stealing his jacket and abandoning him? No, not that. <laughs> but to push back with very extreme language, like, no, I hate you. I uh, wish I was never born. Because at one point, I think the saddest part is, you know, uh, his dad asks if he's ever going to be able to forgive him. And Elliot says no. Yeah. Um and that's when he collapses on the floor. I do believe that the show's producers, from some of the things that I read, confirmed that that's the day that Edward Alderson dies. Oh my God, I didn't know that. So yeah, he just like so that's how it happens. kicks the bucket in this cineplex or whatever. And it's very dramatic because obviously Elliot doesn't know that it's that serious. I think it's symbolic where he takes the his dad's jacket from him mm-hmm. and then puts it on, right? So I wonder if that's the point where he's really assuming that as part of his identity, that Mr. Robot identity. It must be. You know, one thing I want to note is the, the cinematography where they have like the bird's eye view of uh, Edward lying on the ground. I think that the way he's laid out is exactly how Elliot looks when he falls out of the window. So I think that's kind of a parallel they're trying to make between those two characters. Do you notice that child Elliot is also wearing a black hoodie? Oh, of course. With the hood pulled up. <laughs> so Elliot runs away, not understanding how serious the incident is, I think, and sneaks into another movie. And that's the first time you see him talk to an imaginary friend. What did he say? I didn't know that. I don't have a note about what he actually said. <laughs> this did actually happen, right? <laughs> yes. He turns to the empty seat next to him. And so what I was trying to, I think, figure out for myself is, is that the first time he speaks to the imaginary friend or is that oh. the first time the Mr. Robot presence is clear to him and he addresses them? You know, that just kind of reminded me of something that's only tendentially related, but it's about a theory that has been going on like uh, in the community for a long time. And it's that Elliot, his father, and us, the viewer, are um, a reference to like the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Whoa. And of course, like um, when Elliot and when uh, Edward have both like fallen out the window or collapsed and passed out, they both kind of like lay their arms out like a crucifix. So I think that like that's even more religious symbolism. I also think if I had to be anyone in the Trinity, I would obviously want to be the Holy Ghost. It does sound pretty cool, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds pretty good. I'll what, take it. How would you haunt people if you were holy? I don't know if it would be different from the way I would haunt people if I weren't holy, to be honest. (laughs) I feel like I'd like to, if I were a ghost, so look out for this one day. I feel like I'd like to just do little nice things for people. (laughs) Like like, people's water into wine? Yeah, like that. (laughs) Or just make their lives like, oh, you don't know where your car keys are? I put them beside your shoes. It's like a guardian angel. Yeah, like that. I'd like to be that kind of ghost. (laughs) What would you do if you were haunting people? That's a good question. I don't know. I think that I would, like, open up people's CD trays. Oh, no, CD trays don't exist anymore. True. Yeah. I'm going to need to think more about this. All right, we'll, we'll circle back to that. <laughs> Let's cut to the next scene, which is Elliot back at his apartment. He has replaced his medicine cabinet, because remember, he smashed that mirror out? Yeah. Uh, so he's looking in his mirror. Nice, uh, handy person chip, Elliot. Nice work. Wait, has he fixed that yet? I thought he fixed that later. You see the box on the floor oh, from okay. where he's ordered the cabinet i assume he ordered it i assume he does not go to bricks and mortar stores (laughs) i may be projecting i don't know yeah um he is sitting at his terminal uh reading the media coverage about f society and in particular about trenton and mobley yeah so we see that this has been spun as an attack by an iranian terrorist group uh they reference that trenton was only 18 so we write about that too the other things i noticed uh i did a lot of pausing and making notes of screen like screenshots in lots of stuff about that in here so they talk about the link to iran they talk about the arcade being cursed um also the way that it's been depicted in the media is that the red wheelbarrow restaurant was in fact an f society front and tyrell was their hostage oh so it's f society that they're taking it on yeah they're taking the fall and so that obviously is a story tyrell is advancing as well uh is that he's not responsible for the hack he was a captive so another thing i want to notice here is that elliot has switched uh linux distributions He's no longer using Kali, which is like what hacker-centric uh, just for the people use. He's using Linux Mint, which I'm about to piss off a lot of people, but I was a little disappointed in this because 
when it expenses like preschool operating system like a real Elliot. <laughs> um, he's there because he's archiving Trenton Mobley. We've seen him archive people a number of times before. And then, too, he talks about, you know, why do we delete things? Because they're unwanted or they're taking up too much room. He archives the data about Trenton and Mobley on a CD that he labels Bruce Springsteen. Hasn't he used Bruce Springsteen before? I don't think so, but Bruce Springsteen, like Trenton, is from New Jersey. Oh, cool. That's a good reference. Um, so I believe it's Magic is the album. What, what did he use for Michael Hansen then? Because I could swear that that was Bruce Springsteen. I thought it was Pink Floyd. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. The Wall. Yeah, yeah. Dave's nodding too. We should just give him a microphone already. I know we would if it weren't in the back, the trunk of my car. <laughs> that's that's what we would do. Um, he archives Mobley, of course, as DJ Mobley, and that's when he does in archiving them. He is looking for a bit of ancillary information, and that's when we learn that Mobley has a brother, Sandesh. Mm-hmm. So we he pulls up his Facebook page. We see that he went to law school. I'm trying to figure out why Elliot's so interested in him, but that will become clear to us as we get through the episode. I was also thinking it must be super expensive to wipe as often as he does. Oh, yeah. I mean, hard drives can be expensive. Yeah. So I was like, this this habit is getting costly, <laughs> Elliot. Uh, he does have an all-safe mouse pad. I noted that, too. I wonder if he stole that. Who uses a mouse pad anymore? Oh, wait. Both of you are saying you do. All right. <laughs> All right. I don't have a mouse. I think yeah, that's my either. way of telling you that. Uh, there's a knock at the door. Uh, Darlene arrives. She's asking, why did he wipe down? And he says that it's routine which I assume he probably does do this on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. So the reason Darlene is there is to try and get some help to deal with Angela. Elliot gives her a really strong pushback because at this point his view is that she's had a complete breakdown. Well, she should. Yeah. Well, from Elliot's perspective, well, from everybody's perspective, Angela has sort of betrayed him. And knowing how close they are, that probably stings really bad. Well, and especially because he doesn't know the full story and really that she's been swindled just like, so many other people who participated in this and of course Elliot's still dealing with his own feelings of responsibility about all of the uh, explosions yeah Darlene is a little worried about how Elliot's taking this too probably not to the extent that she's worried about Angela but Elliot's um he says that even if he didn't take these actions directly like even if it was him acting as Mr. Robot he still feels culpable for it. It's also interesting where I think Elliot's at a place where he thinks that because of this new ecoin accord, ecorp is going to be fine. Nothing that they did, even the fires, even losing all the records, all of that, that doesn't matter. That company and that conglomerate still gets to prosper. So that turn of events in a way has really insulated ecorp from failing, I think. There's also a bit of sinister stuff here where Darlene's kind of encouraging him to get rid of Mr. Robot. Um, and Elliot says, you know, he won't leave and he won't leave because I wanted this and I liked it. Yeah. You know how I relate everything in this show to Breaking Bad? <laughs> There's um, a scene near the end of, of that series when Walter, who's kind of spent the entire series up until that point justifying his actions because um, like he's dying, he needs to provide for his family. At the very end, he kind of like admits that he did it out of his own self-interest and wasn't really for some kind of moral crusade. So I think that that's kind of how Elliot feels here now, too. This is probably a good time to tell people that my cat is named Walter White. (laughs) That's pretty perfect. But you predate the show, right? That's important. He's named after Walter Benjamin, and I've never seen the show. (laughs) But it makes me look way cooler than I actually am at the vet's office. You should really watch that show. It's fantastic. I know. I should get on it. Darlene is very scared. Yeah, because Elliot is very angry. And we know that previously he's uh, got so angry that he's put his hands on her. He does, I think, a better job of being a better person to her. That was awkwardly phrased. <laughs> but um, he says he's not trying to scare her. He needs some time. But if she comes over tomorrow, they'll watch Careful Massacre. This uh, seemed like a warning bell to me. Because you remember last time what happens when they talk about uh, smoking and watching Back to the Future? which never happens. And I feel like this is not going to happen either. I really wonder what's going to interfere with it. Well, we're about to find out. Well, it's interesting. So we learn later in the episode this takes place October 21st because Darlene says it's not even Halloween, but they decide they're going to do it anyway. Uh, So there's another really important quote here, I thought, about um, it not being important that they follow the rules. Because that's been kind of uh, a consistent fact with these two characters so far. That's true. And in a way, that's their normal. Yeah. But Darlene says maybe we should start following the rules. And I think that Elliot kind of agrees. 
Um, Elliot decides to safely deposit Lil Flips with the landlord. <laughs> Lil Flips? That's going to be my rapper name. <laughs> Lil Flips. I tried to draw a cartoon. Do you know, it's very tricky to draw Black Terrier. I bet. You know, have you ever tried to draw a bike before? No. There's this really funny website. Like, for some reason, everybody thinks they can draw a bike. But when you actually try it, you just can't. Like, it's pretty much impossible because nobody actually knows what a bike looks like. But there's this website where they make, like, 3D renders of all of the crappy, misshapen bikes that people make that look ridiculous. After we're finished taping, we're all going to draw a bike and post it on the Twitter We should use this whiteboard. We're going to do it on a whiteboard. Uh, I like that Lil Flip's favorite toy is Lil Eggplant. This reminded me of my dog's favorite toy, which was a green bell pepper. And I lost it, and I'm so sad. You know what? My dog's favorite toy before she passed away was also a green bell pepper. Didn't you give me that? Yeah. That that makes me feel so much worse that I lost it. No, I... (laughs) <laughs> dog toys don't last forever yes especially not when they're husky yeah if it lasted five minutes that's all right um elliot decides he's gonna toss that mr robot jacket that he took from his dad all those years ago very sad moments i thought well is it sad i think it's not sad because i think i think elliot is trying to really sever ties and sees that as a pot as a positive way or maybe the only way he can move forward. But what's interesting as a side note is he also says that getting rid of him means getting rid of us. So the imaginary friend, the viewer. So I don't know what implication that will have to the story, but he takes the jacket to one of those, um, those trash fire startups. (laughs) What do you think it's called? I bet it's spelled garbage, but like missing one of the vowels with like a fire instead of the a. Yeah. Maybe it's called burn barrel (laughs) or, um, uh fireball that work or um yeah i don't know i don't know it's we can cut that last that last (laughs) clause there so you said that of course you know viewings of careful massacre are often interrupted we see elliot kind of do doing what i think krista would call returning to old patterns and behaviors are you talking about the detour to the drug dealer yes this is a guy we haven't seen before right no hard andy what a ridiculous name that's not gonna be my name (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> um you could do a track it'll be little flips featuring hard andy and that will be me <laughs> davis signals a rapper called hard r i know i think i get i get oh wait i, I just got it yeah wow. <laughs> are they white okay all right <laughs> no i was i had a confirmation that's a no um this is a drug dealer it seems very specialized we're gonna learn later how elliot found this person but they have um, a big briefcase full of prescription pharmaceuticals. They got Addies, Xies, Oxies, Addies, and Roxies. I don't know what half of those are, but uh, it sounded he really like just trolled them <laughs> off that list. I don't know what a Roxy is. That's that's yeah, Roxy is confusing to me. I wonder if I just wrote it down wrong. No, I thought I heard it because it <laughs> rhymes with Oxy. Yeah, it all rhymed. <laughs> uh, Elliot, after an extensive uh, strip search by the drug dealer. Yeah, that was weird. Well, because he wants the whole bag. He wants this huge quantity. So I think the dealer is concerned that he's, uh, I guess, what we used to call a narc. Yeah. Or the other alternative that he posits is that he uh, is trying to resell the products, which from his perspective is just as bad. And the third option that Hard Andy puts forward is that um, Elliot is going to use these as materials to harm himself. And then, like, weird seducing thing? What happened there? It's, yeah, I think it's like a little bit seductive or he, like Hardy Andy tries to be a bit seductive with him and it just doesn't pan out. Actually, I have to say, though, in terms of this episode, and we'll get to it when we get to the second movie theater scene later, there are a lot of queer people and queer couples in this episode. Too. Yeah. So, yeah, it was like it's just interesting for representation um, to, to see and notice so many and it's also without fanfare, like it's like yeah, it's like very like, normalized, and which is different for TV because I feel like it's often like, here is a floodlight on our queer character. Did uh-huh. you see it? Did you see it? It's like the opposite of Gideon. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, as much as I love the Gideon character and his lovely husband, <laughs> the way it gets introduced is still weird to me. Yeah. Now Elliot takes a little field trip to Mobley's brother to attempt to pay his respects. Unfortunately, we find that because of this kind of very effective smear campaign that has pinned him as the leader of a massive terrorist attack. Well, actually, yeah, like thousands of people died. I mean, I guess he's a little right to be 
uh, upset with his brother based on the information he has. Well, and and we see this later when we get to Trenton's family. If you can imagine the harassment and discrimination and other things that his brother probably faces as a result of being associated with Mobley, you can kind of understand why maybe his reaction is so angry uh, and why he pushes away so hard. I'm glad I changed my last name. So what's really interesting here is... Um, Elliot tries to say some kind words about Mobley and the brother pushes back so strongly where he says, you know, do you think they can just make this shit up? <laughs> I Which love is that. exactly what they did. Yeah. You can't just go on the internet and tell lies. You can't just go on the mass media and tell lies. I mean, how could that happen? We learn uh, that Sandesh, the brother, he's refused to pay for any funeral for Mobley. So he would be, I guess, um, buried or to treat his remains to be treated in the way that anyone the state has to be responsible for and i don't know really what that is me either so anyway that's a pretty confrontational scene um elliot kind of gets the door slammed in his face and he sets off for his second location along the way there we find out that um there's a, a citywide curfew in effect now which involves Military patrol, and I think also helicopters. I think so. So it's 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. The city's in lockdown. The thing I don't get is why do they have a curfew to protect against an attack that was, like, entirely digital? Shouldn't they want people to be, like, outside? Yeah, that's a good... (laughs) Go to the park, everyone. Yeah. Go to the park. You're legally mandated to go to the park (laughs) in these hours. There are a lot of um, memorials along the way that people put up where they all say, you know, 71, remember the cyber bombings. Um, And I mean, in my imagination, and I wasn't there um, for this, but I I wonder if they were like the post 9-11 kind of memorials that would have popped up along just like streets. And I think that is a reference they're trying to make, just judging by the fact that they refer to these attacks by the dates that they happen on. That's true. Now, Elliot's second stop is to Trenton's family, who are packing up all of their belongings. Elliot approaches the family because, again, he's trying to at least let these people know that there's, you know, there's one person out there who doesn't believe this story about their family member. What must make this so painful for Elliot is that he could kind of prove to them that, that he's telling the truth. But to do that would kind of throw him back into that mess he doesn't want to be involved in. Well, and like other times that people have tried to disclose their actions, they also may not believe him. I mean, he's just some man that walked up to them on the street, right? Good point. He does say to Trenton's father, I know that she's innocent. Um, And you see her baby brother. I didn't realize the age difference. They must be, like, it would be the age difference between you and me. Oh, yeah. Wow. Because he's probably, like, seven or eight, maybe, and she's 18. So I think we've only... I think that we've only seen this kid in one scene before, like, flying a plane around. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. <laughs> it's in the first season when they're meeting up at uh, Trenton's place. You do feel really sad for the family where they're leaving town. They um, they say that this country blames Muslims for everything, and there's just they feel there's no room for them anymore. Well, they never really felt entirely welcome, right? Which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, absolutely, and probably the experience of a lot of folks. So, you know, I think they're... Showing some of their story uh, is probably very resonant for people who felt that kind of Islamophobia over the, especially since 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, the father ultimately thanks Elliot for coming to say nice things about his daughter. I think that family is very close and they do love her very much. So yeah. it must be a terrible loss. I think that they have a much better reaction than Mobley's brother. Weirdly, I also really miss Trenton. I just, she was very smart and delightful i always liked her i know and now like knowing how young she is i feel like she was basically like a prodigy yeah yeah so um so there's that i think this this episode moves very slowly but there's sort of a lot of high impact emotional scenes in it and this feels like one of them to see the family moving away elliot leaves them and he goes back into the subway where this is the first time, at least, that I've noticed it. People are wearing, like, masks and bandanas and stuff over their face, like m- medical masks. Yeah, this is how I noticed that, too. Maybe because of the explosions, there's, like, dust in the air, something like that. I thought that, or I thought, or are they worried about, like, a gas attack? Or is it simply that there's garbage Oh yeah, everywhere I, and that, you know, the city, like, there must be rats and people must be worried about that? I, I think that makes more sense than my idea. I think this is also the first point in the episode where we have the sense Elliot's headed to Coney Island, and I think it's the first time we have the sense that he's headed there to die. Yeah, it's very sad. 
like I think that this whole episode, um, Mr. Robot, like it gives you a lot of bad feelings. Like there's a lot of anxiety and tension and sadness involved. Whereas this episode is really just sadness. Like there's no real anxiety in it. That's true because I think ultimately we don't believe that Elliot as the protagonist of the show is really going to die by suicide in this episode. Yeah. Or at least at no point did I really believe that was going to happen. You know, maybe when they're ready to unveil that device that brings people back from the dead, it'll be when Elliot kills himself. Maybe that'll be it. it what it, I thought, though, is this also kind of gives insight into what that suffering is like, where, you know, they're trying to show that also not everybody who has suicidal thoughts dies by suicide. It's something that happens to people when they experience different mental illnesses or this kind of extreme stress. So in a yeah. way, in a way, I think Mr. Robot normalizes a lot of things that are maybe invisible in other kinds of TV shows, you know? Yeah, it's definitely kind of progressive in that regard. When Elliot sits down on the beach and whips out his giant sack of morphine, he has a, a visitor. It's uh, Trenton's brother who has followed him to the beach. I had to look up, apparently the little brother's name is Muhammad. Uh, he's very, that actor, I thought, seems mature beyond his, <laughs> at least the age that he looks. I thought it was pretty good acting, actually. They seem to have uh, good choices with the child actors. The other thing I think about this is um, the presence of the child character kind of pulls Elliot, like adult Elliot, back into being a child in some of the ways that they argue and some of the conversations they have. So you get the sense Elliot didn't really get to have a childhood in a way this feels kind of nice. Yeah. Although it must be very sad for Elliot, too, because to him, uh, Mohammed is kind of like a, a projection of Trenton. A projection of Trenton, for sure, because I think he knows how much Trenton cared about her family and how much that little boy probably really misses her, right? The brother has just followed him. <laughs> yeah, he seems like he's pretty uh, self-sufficient. Hey, wait, why aren't the parents looking for him? Do you think it's like Home Alone where they just like left without him by accident and later they're going to be like, Mohammed? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think we should make that movie. <laughs> I think we should totally have a, a <laughs> I'm losing the word, not remake. Parody? Reboot. Oh, yeah, that would work. Uh, a reboot with Trenton's family in Home Alone. Do you remember that show Reboot? I believe they're actually rebooting it. What? They're yeah. going to reboot Reboot? Yeah, it's very meta. Um, uh, well, the boy says that um, his parents often leave him at home uh, alone when they go out. And he also says, Elliot says, go home. He says, I don't know how to go home. Oh. Well, I interpret <laughs> that also kind of metaphorically where like that is his home. And now he feels like he doesn't belong there and he can't go. Of course. Also, literally, because he does not know how to take the train. And he just <laughs> followed Elliot all the way to this beach. He asks Elliot... Why do you think my sister didn't do it? And Elliot, of course, to a child, can't really explain that fully. But I think I think the brother wants to believe, of course, that Trenton was good. Yeah, and we'll get more into his reasoning about that down the road, I guess. I do love just the dialogue like Elliot has where he'll be like, that's awesome. <laughs> it's <laughs> just too. so those parts are whimsical. And I think you kind of need those moments in this episode because this is really them dealing with grieving, I think, for their friends and colleagues. Yeah. Um, and the kid like acts like such a kid when he just like, what, 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 why, why that, why that? <laughs> yeah. Like a million questions. Elliot uh, tries to blow him off, of course, because he has something uh, that he describes as something personal to do. And I can't tell if the kid is just a really good hustler or not, but he says that he's locked out of the house. There's no one home. And basically, will Elliot hang out with him? But of course, <laughs> Elliot is worried that the parents will call the cops and he looked like he kidnapped <laughs> this kid. Yeah, exactly. I get the impression that he is just like a hustler, though, because he seems pretty clever. Well, and we see later that this is a bit of a con, <laughs> but in a nice way. Yeah, a bit of social engineering. So he says that they went uh, to see his uncle in Connecticut. Uh, and will Elliot take him to the movies? And I really like that Elliot uh, ultimately gives in. <laughs> it turns out that this is, uh, is it October 21st, right? October 21st, 2015. Yeah, and it's the day that is significant in Back to the Future. So it's a big day for them. So it's actually the day that Marty McFly travels Back to the Future. Like in, in date and in year in the movie, it's October 1, 2015. So oh, October 1? October 21. 21, okay. So although um, Muhammad would really rather see The Martian, 
Elliot basically agrees that they're going to go, but they have to go see that movie. And it's like a big to do. Like people are dressed up as their favorite characters. And it's like it looks like kind of a fun, uh, fun day. Um, And then Elliot makes the special popcorn (laughs) for Muhammad. And the kid doesn't really like he's skeptical about it like I am. Yeah, he thinks it's gross. <laughs> and maybe, well, we got one vote for, one vote against. We'll have to, we'll have to make some. <laughs> so the nerds in line that you were talking about who are all like dressed up for this, I feel like uh, they make several references to Back to the Future throughout the series. And in this scene, they kind of like have these uh, background characters kind of unpack the symbolism that's relevant to Mr. Robot. And it starts out kind of oblique where... They talk about how it's like going to the future to change the past, going to the future to change the future because of the past, so on and so forth. But then there's one character who I think just like takes the symbolism and sticks your face right in it because they say that it's actually about how one mistake can change the world. And very clearly that's uh, about 5-9 and this uh, secondary attack, I believe. And I thought that was nice the way they did that, the way they kind of sewed it all up, even though it is a little on the nose, I get that. I wrote, this is too on the nose. (laughs) So somewhere between a little on the nose and way too on the nose, uh, we do get that. Around the movie theater is also where we see these. uh, I wish I had seen Back to the Future 2 because I feel like there are a lot of references that I don't get here. But uh, eventually, Elliot realizes that just like he once bailed on his dad at the movies, the kid has bailed on him. In a scene, I I don't totally understand why it's an ice cream truck. I don't know if that's a reference that I'm kind of losing track of. I don't understand it either. And we find out that this character ends up being sort of inconsequential. So it seems like this is just like a bottle scene in a way. Although uh, producer Dave offline had a really good point about this because the um, the driver of the ice cream truck uh, is a Hasidic Jew. And so when Elliot asks where there's a mosque in the neighborhood. Because you know, that's where Mahabit's probably going. Yeah, because earlier they'd had a conversation about where do you pray? Oh, I pray here. You know, So Elliot kind of has a sense that that might be a safe place for him. The driver of the truck says, oh, this one or this one? You know, I have lots of friends in both of those places. So really about how at a fundamental level, people coexist in warm and human ways, despite all of the kind of fear mongering and and hatred that goes on around them. Yeah, we'll just compare it to earlier in the episode where Trenton's father was talking about how people blame Muslims for everything. It kind of stands in contrast to the Islamophobia that's described there. Exactly. Um, the driver is playing the War of the Worlds out of the ice cream truck. So there's that reference? There's that reference. So that is what the producers were alluding to, which I, of course, extrapolated into much more than it really is. <laughs> um, and Elliot says, you know, isn't that kind of, I always say this word wrong, isn't that kind of macabre, like to talk about the end of the world? And the driver says, no, no, no th- it's really a story about how humanity perseveres. The driver uh, is a real helpful person, and Elliot yeah. does find the place uh, where Muhammad has gone and is praying. He asks why he bailed, and Elliot seems kind of, I don't know, annoyed or hurt, or maybe just he was scared that he lost him, but that, that he had bailed. Yeah, well, at this point, it seems like Muhammad is kind of Elliot's responsibility, whether he wants it or not. Elliot also says that he would have come uh, if he had said he wanted to go there, and the boy, I like how saucy he is. He just says, no, you wouldn't. I like that, too. Is that what saucy means, though? Saucy? I feel like, yeah, like it means like lippy. Okay, I thought I meant drunk. That's like being a sauce pot. That's like sauce. (laughs) Yeah, that's the sauce. (laughs) Or being a sauce pot. Or I believe as our mom once called me a sauce bag. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Elliot wants him to go back to the theater with him. Now, this is an opportunity for Muhammad to say... Why did you come to our house? You know, why are you interfering in our lives? Why are you here? And this is where, um, so this, I know I quote him all the time. This reminds me of another Hari Kondabalu joke mm-hmm. where the boy says, I wish you were dead. And Elliot says, so do I. Yeah, that was like super sad. It's super sad and it would have been, but all I could hear was this joke in my head where there's, um, it's a pro-choice joke where uh, someone says to Hari Kondabalu, you know, aren't you glad your mother didn't have an abortion? And he says, Sometimes. <laughs> um, 
That's lovely. <laughs> so this next scene, I was like, I feel like I teared up a little bit, and this yeah. really broke my heart. And maybe it is because I was like, I do have brothers like 10 years younger than me, and I feel protective of them. I'm like getting triggered by my notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the boy says, and I think this is very, this is where this child character is also well written, because children tend to think that it's almost like magical thinking, like what they do has you know, a terrible ripple effect through the universe. So he says, you know, I feel like I did something bad that made Shama, sorry, we learned that Shama is Trenton's given name, um, that made Shama leave. You know, I'm going to relate that to another joke, kind of like you just did, because obviously very impactful line, very sad, but it reminded me of this Jack Handy quote, which I don't have verbatim, but it goes something like, um, my kid once asked me where rain came from, and I told him that it was because of God, and God causes rain when he's angry. So he asked me why he was angry, and I said, probably because of something you did. <laughs> <laughs> so what's nice is Elliot doesn't tell that joke. <laughs> uh, you know, he says, you know, it wasn't your fault, and it wasn't her fault. It was my fault. So he really takes the hit, and I like, and again, Muhammad says, uh, he just puts him in his place. And he also tells him that he's not allowed to be wearing his shoes there. And Elliot, one thing I like here is he defers to him and he complies. So he kind of lets this little boy run the show because he's trying to give him some peace, I think, if he can. Yeah. He also makes a little joke that clues back into earlier in the episode where he talks about putting his shoes on while standing up. And this reminded me, I um, broke my collarbone and I had to have my arm in a sling for a few weeks. And I needed to put on my boots, like, with my non-dominant hand while standing on one leg. <laughs> and earlier, uh, of course, they had talked about how Shama would always trip when she tried to do that. Yeah. But Muhammad feels very proud that he can do it while he's standing up without falling over. So I think the thing that they talk about after this, and maybe there's something else that I cut out, but um, there's a bit of, like, a poignant exchange about how he is the only person in their family who could become president. Because Trenton and his parents were both born in Iran and migrated there. And I think this calls back to some of the, I mean, some of the themes of the episode are about belonging and feeling otherness. And so, I mean, he, he sees that he and his family are treated differently, even though they're one family. Do you have notes about what legislature he would introduce if he were president? Well, I, I know that he would make everyone be nice to him. Pop-tarts for dinner? I feel like he would change everything. He says, find a way to bring back my sister. And like, come on, guys, you're going too on the nose again here. Well, and that where I'm like, are you just trying to make every uh, person like me cry while we watch it? <laughs> the other parallel I see is that I feel like all of those things might maybe minus the Pop-Tarts. Those are all things Angela said, right? Like I would bring people back from the dead. I would change, like I would make people be nice to each other. Or I would, I would change the world. You're right. And Elliot basically says that that would be a dictator. So I wonder what that means for Angela. Well, not very much right now. <laughs> but I also like, so he tries, Mohammed says, you know, what is a dictator? And I think this too, you can see in some of Sam Esmail's social media and things that he's, I think, critiquing Trump quite vocally and oh, in yeah. public. Uh, Elliot says, what's a dictator? A really bad president. <laughs> I wonder who he could be referring to. Well, I'm sure there are many bad presidents. Um, they talk about, because they're, talking about who could be president and you have to be born in the United States, I believe, to become president of the United States. And when Elliot asks where Muhammad was born, he says Trenton, New Jersey. And so now we know how Trenton got her handle. At this point, they leave the mosque uh, and go back to the house. And that's when we see that Muhammad has had keys in his pocket the whole time. <laughs> and also this whole time, he never even asked what Elliot's name was. I noticed that it was a little weird. Well, it's very trusting, right? He followed like a strange dude who came to his house saying he knew his sister, you know, all over town. Um, so it's kind of interesting in that way. Also, if we're on sort of a religious theme where you talked about the Holy Trinity earlier, Muhammad is a prophet name. So I didn't know if that was supposed to be significant. It's also a very common name. So, I mean, it, it could mean nothing, but it's Mr. Robot. So I'm tempted to infer meaning from it. Of course. Mohammed says, I'm sorry that I made you late because, of course, he knew that Elliot had that very important thing he had planned to do. He also says, I hope you can still do your important thing because obviously he does not know what that is. Yes. <laughs> In a way, I think this day kind of saves Elliot. I think so, too. Also, the hustle is not done because Mohammed wants to see the Martian still. I hope that this character comes back. 
I really do too because honestly I loved the actor and I just I think they could have so much fun with it like I just love uh, him and Elliot sassing each other <laughs> like I I could watch that for probably a full hour that would be a great sitcom oh my god <laughs> <laughs> the boy goes inside for a moment and Elliot loses his composure completely yeah, he feels really guilty, I'd imagine. Well, yeah, I think guilty and aggrieved and probably very angry. And uh, I mean, there must be a whole palette of... And like his baseline depression. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all, all that. Like my therapist would probably give me a paper with different facial expressions on it. <laughs> and I could you know, possibly identify some of them. You know those pain scales? Yeah. That like, have like the graphics with the faces about how painful... Oh, I've never is. seen one of those for pain, no. I wonder if they have those for sadness. <laughs> like, oh, an increasingly scale? sad face. We'll look that up. <laughs> we'll also look that up. Um, earlier in the episode, Elliot had said to Muhammad that he was sick. And so I actually have a question about this part because he comes back to give Elliot a lollipop. But the lollipop is very strongly associated with Dom. Yeah. This is a different kind of lollipop, though. But that's for it's true because it's like the flat <laughs> yeah. Halloween kind and not the round dog. I know a lot of it by lollipop. Kind. <laughs> I don't like any of them. Me either. Uh, but, you know, but I do note the distinction. I got a food delivery the other day and the delivery person gave me a lollipop for free. It was actually very nice of them. Oh, that is nice. <laughs> was he a tiny boy from Trenton, New Jersey? <laughs> I didn't ask. <laughs> so that, that sort of wraps up that story with Elliot and Muhammad, which I think is very... They do a good job with the emotional impact of it, even though it is very unusual for the show. Yeah. Now I think we get to see something we're more used to seeing Elliot do because he goes back to Mobley's brother's house for a confrontation. Yeah, I like that we get to see uh, Vigilante Elliot again. That's that's right. Vigilante Elliot is how we always characterized it. He's gone to the house to say, you're going to have a funeral. He's also got dirt on the brother. <laughs> yeah. It turns out it was this brother who was the mutual friend, he said, put him in touch with the drug dealer. Elliot, that is. That's right. Yeah. So he, it, through hacking the brother, got the connection to Hard Andy. Yeah. I put that sentence together like spaghetti. Elliot's got stipulations. The funeral is going to be a good one. The brother is going to write and deliver a eulogy. It's going to be a good one. There'll be no <laughs> half-assing it. And then, and this is where I think we're, you know, it confirms for the viewer that he's given up on the idea of, um, of killing himself later in the day, he tosses him the bag of morphine and says, you know, if you sell these back to him, it'll pay for it. Now we're moving on to, is this the last scene? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Well, there, there's like a small one after it, but it's the last one that has two characters in it. So I'm very confused about where this scene is taking place. Me too, because it doesn't look like Angela's apartment. That's what you noted earlier, right? Well, because Angela's in a room where all the walls are black. There's like eight locks. They're from the inside, um, up and down the door. And Elliot's standing in what looks like a corridor, but it's all red or red light. So it's a hard contrast between red and black. Yeah, there's some really nice um, cinematography here where Elliot is standing in like a well-lit room and his uh, like face is obscured by shadows. And conversely, Angela's room is black, like you were saying, and the light is shining on her face. So it creates a real light and dark contrast. I think this is an exceptional moment for Portia Doubleday here, who doesn't have a single line in the episode, but her acting as she is listening to Elliot tell these nostalgic stories about their childhood, I think is really good. Yeah, it, it says a lot when you can deliver such a good performance without even having any lines. Elliot talks about a game that they used to play when they were children, a wishing game, and the things that they would wish for. Like Sour Patch Kids? Like Sour Patch Kids. Like a faster modem, uh, like clothes, like that's where my notes run out. On I only wrote in Sour Patch Kids. That's because, yeah, you probably once have wished for Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> this is where I think Elliot is trying to deliver a message to her to pull her out of her hopelessness, where he says, you know, the ending was never our favorite part. It was the wishing. And so if we kind of apply that to what's happened since the beginning of the 5-9 hack, you know, what they wished for, this better world, this end to inequality, uh, you know, this change in social order, what they wished for was the beautiful part and the ending, you know, was not at all what they imagined, right? I think that's supposed to give her some kind of peace. And he also says, you know, we also knew that no matter what happened, we would be okay. So I think he's trying to tell her. What's that? Oh, does she say that? Does she have a line? 
I think that she's the one who says no matter what happens, I'll be okay. But I could be wrong. Oh, I messed up. Okay. Um, okay. Um, so, okay. I actually, I miss, I mischaracterized this a little bit. Uh, Angela does have one line. Yeah. It's, it sounds like something White Rose would have said. That no matter what happens, we'll be okay. Yeah. Because they'll all come back. Or they already did. When we re, re when we rewinded. Do you rewind? Is it rewound? When we rewound the video? Good grief. Maybe if we rewind enough, we can get back to Instagram Mobley. Oh, uh, I'd like that. <laughs> Maybe if we rewind this enough, we'll get to a part where I didn't use a non-word in a sentence. <laughs> As Elliot is heading home, this trash disposal industry has really exploded. Um, somebody chucks a bunch of bags of trash out in front of him. And this, again, I find very convenient. That's like Fireball's Uber venture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would... Uber. <laughs> That's terrible. But they, the Mr. Robot jacket is conveniently clean and on top of a trash bag and it's right in front of Elliot. And so he reclaims the jacket and then, of course, talks kind of metaphorically about how deletion is not always permanent. Can I talk a bit about that? So you know how on your computer you can like right click a file and delete it or something that doesn't actually delete the file from the disk. All it does is remove um, like the metadata that points to that data on the disk. It prevents the operating system from seeing it as a file. But if you were to use some kind of tool that like looked at the hard disk itself instead of the file system layer, you'd still be able to read back the data. So you need to um, like write zeros over it or something like that to actually erase something. This is interesting, and actually I have another question for you about deleting things in a moment. Because we've talked way back in season one about okay. something important. So Elliot goes to retrieve some of the files he's archived, and in particular, one from Trenton. And so now this flashes really quickly on the screen. Do you think it's useful for me to read it out? Or is that pedantic? I think you could read it out because it's fairly important. I think that it's going to like telegraph the remaining two episodes of the season, to be honest. It also answers a question that we had, because remember in the back of the Cadillac where Trenton says that if something happens to her, there's a dead man switch and an email is going to send to someone that she trusts? Yeah. And the other question that it answers is when um, Trenton and Mobley or Frederick and Tanya are talking at the end of season two when Leon comes up to them. Trenton has an idea about how to undo the hack at that point. Right. So all of those threads get connected. Elliot is the trustworthy person and he receives this message from her. So the subject line is don't delete me. And I believe that's also the name of the episode. Yes, that is also the name of the episode. Her message says, uh, I may have found a way to undo the hack. I've been investigating Romero. He installed hardware keyloggers on all machines in the arcade sometime before 5-9. The NYPD imaged all of his data after he was murdered. I was able to get this chain of custody document from the NYPD when they prepared to transfer the evidence to the FBI. They couldn't get into the encrypted keylogger containers. If Romero somehow got a hold of the keys or even the seed data and source code for the encryption tools, the answer might be in these keylogger captures. But the FBI probably has these files now. Yeah, so you know how I was saying that it was kind of a roundabout for them to encrypt all the data and then delete the encryption key instead of just outright deleting the data? I think... Um, we make this joke in this reference so often, but this is like Chekhov's encryption key because like, obviously that's what they're going to do now. And um, it seems like this is a way for them to kind of undo it and rewrite history, but without actually invoking that sci-fi thing that I don't really like. I do notice that to the email, it says there's one file attached. Yeah, it's the chain of custody. Oh, okay. So that's what's attached to them. Yeah. I don't know what that is though. <laughs> it's just what the line said it was. Well, I think isn't chain of custody just, you know, whose hands it passed through? I would think so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. So this is when Elliot really realizes that he still has a purpose. There may be still some things he can do to contribute. And so I think we have the sense there is an impending stage three. I think we also have the sense that Elliot may try to work this angle. I think the last two episodes of the season should be quite dramatic. Whatever happens with the uh, like fake hack that they used to frame Trenton and Mobley with the air traffic controllers? That's interesting because I didn't notice. So in this episode also, you know, there's always like the news in the background somewhere. Yeah. There's none of that. You're right. I guess you were wrong about your theory. <laughs> oh, I was 1000% wrong Sorry, about that, that theory. That's a, I feel like I was a jerk by saying that. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I've been wrong about all theories except one that mattered not at all. So, so I don't know that that exploit was ever carried out because I'm sure they would have made a plot point of like planes crashing and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. 
I guess um, it was just to make them look guilty. Well, and to make them, like, let's say the FBI had to shoot them, right, mm-hmm. to make it look like they were in the process of carrying out an even more nefarious, you know, murderous act, right? Good point. So the way that picture was painted, I think, really was a fail-safe. There was no way those two were getting out alive. They use something called uh, proton mail here, both uh, Trenton and Elliot, and it's um, like an encrypted email service where if you have two users who are using ProtonMail, it'll encrypt it, sending between those two users, and they won't be able to read it. But what I find interesting is that ProtonMail is like uh, generally considered to be the most secure email provider now, but it's because the email provider that I used to use, which was called Lavabit, uh, Wednesday I went to like log in and check my email, and there was a notice on the slate that says we're shutting down because it turned out Edward Snowden used our email servers and they sent us like a national security letter and we're just shutting down instead of giving them it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I use the same email provider as Edward Snowden. And probably many people, (laughs) you know, many people who are just exchanging recipes and uh, what else do people send by email anymore? (laughs) Memorandums and communiques. Another funny part of the story is that when they eventually did strong arm him into giving the encryption keys over, he printed it out on like 10 pages of paper at like four point font. That's kind of funny. <laughs> That's like paying in pennies at the grocery store. Exactly. So anyway, I think, I mean, we've had a real depressing uh, arc of this show. I am nervous, but also excited to see how the rest of the season pans out. We've only got two more episodes. I don't even know what I'm going to do when we're done with this. You know, I bet, I bet we'll find some things for this team to do. More on that from us later. Thanks a lot for listening to Mr. Rewatch. We recorded this episode in Toronto. We wanted to say that, um, of course, today's episode contains some pretty triggering topics. And so that we would encourage you, uh, especially if you felt that you were at risk, um, these are services you could either support or rely on. So I believe this is the American uh, American resource. Of course, we do actually we do have listeners around the world, which is pretty amazing. Most of them for Canada and the U.S. Uh, in the U.S., the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and so that is suicidepreventionlifeline.org if you needed support. And let me get you a Canadian resource as well. I'm talking so long. I'm just making this so difficult to coordinate. I'm sorry, producer Dave. Suicideprevention.ca is a Canadian resource. They will also point you in the direction of local crisis centers, which you could support or you could rely on for help yourself. So uh, any of those are are available to you. I'm Devlin. And I'm Erin. Bonsoir.